0: It's nice up here, okay. Um, Our scripture reading today comes from Jeremiah 9, 23 to 26, on page 6 of your bulletin. This is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they understand and know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness in distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised, and even the whole house of Israel It's uncircumcised in heart. This is the word of our Lord.
1: All right, shall we? Let's take a look at this passage, but let's first pray. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we invite you to come and make your word come alive. We don't need just another human word. Uh, There's been enough of that all week. (laughs) What we really need in these few moments is to hear from God, to hear from you, a different word, uh, a a living word. Uh, Would you help us first to believe that your word is what it is uh, from the very heart and the voice of God, and help us then to have the right expectations of what you might possibly do in this time to give us life, to change us, uh, to give us hope. And so, Jesus, we give ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to you. We ask that you would speak now because we're listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, before we had kids, Paula and I were out shopping at a crowded shopping center at a store. And we were browsing through the store, uh, mostly side by side, looking at different things, but taking occasional pauses if something caught her attention, a sweater, a dress, or if something caught my attention. A pair of jeans, a male romper. No, not really. And I remember at one point, this one day, looking up and seeing Paula, her eyes still sort of fixed on a clothing rack over here, seeing her proceed to put her arm around the waist of some random dude, and gently lean into him. And I remember, she's not even here, is she? I got to do this, right? <laughs> and I re- immediately knew what was happening. She thought that he was me. <laughs> I thought it was the funniest thing. She didn't. She, I thought it was the funniest thing. But it didn't really take but uh, one and a half seconds for Paula to realize her mistake. And I saw her eyes drop to the ground quickly as she shuffled away from him briskly, uh, refusing to even acknowledge the guy or look him in the face. I mean, what would you have done? Uh, who could blame her? Right? It was an innocent case. Of <laughs> there she is. Uh, <laughs> of, uh, an innocent case of mistaken identity. But maybe this could serve as a humorous little analogy for life and relationships. Because did you know that you can think you're connecting with someone when in fact you don't even really know them? Did you know that you can do this even with God? You can think that you know him. You might even think you're leaning on him. But what if you've got the wrong God? Which is why we are starting this new sermon series for the summer called Who is God? In it we're going to study the different attributes of God, the characteristics of God according to the Bible. Each week we're going to focus on on one aspect of God's nature or God's character, uh, the majesty of God, uh, the love of God, the omniscience of God, how he knows everything, the justice of God, the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere. The holiness of God and more and more, 12 in total. For some of us, We want to know God, but we have no idea how to start. Let's start together. Others of us might assume we know who God is, or we might be seeking after God, but what if our seeking, what if our pursuit, no matter how sincere, is a matter of mistaken identity? What if, as it were, we've got our arm around the wrong God? What would it be like to have your arm around the right God, the true God? In fact, what would it be like for his arm to be around you? Who is God? It's a vitally important question, isn't it? Let's study it together. And here's where we're going to start for today, briefly, with the knowability of God. The God of the Bible is a knowable God. Because even as we pose that question, who is God, increasingly people today, and maybe you included, might respond by saying, but we don't know and we can't know who God is. God is essentially unknowable. And of course, if that were true, then you'd be in for a very short sermon series, right? To help us investigate the matter today, we're looking at a well-known passage from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Most of this book, written by the prophet of the same name, is a warning of God's coming judgment. It's why our passage ends on a somber note, this reference to punishment. You see, the Israelites, after having formed a special, unique covenant relationship as a people with God have since turned away from God and begun to worship idols. If they persisted, the prophet explained to them warned them, they would be conquered by the Babylonians and carried off into exile as a form of divine judgment. But the prophet was always insistent on telling them If they would turn back to God, there was hope. God would heal. God would restore them. God would forgive their sins. But Jeremiah's hearers rejected the prophet's warnings. They they trusted in the symbols of their religion, like the temple. And they trusted in the rituals of their religion, like circumcision, mentioned in verse 25 of this passage. Instead of trusting in the reality of a living relationship with God, they thought they were spiritually wise when they were really living like fools. You might say the heart of the problem was that they thought they knew God when they didn't really know God, which is why Jeremiah gets to the heart of the matter in verse 24. Let the one who boasts boast about this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. Again, let the one who boasts boast about this, that they understand and know me. The clear teaching of this passage is not only that God is knowable, but also that we should seek to know him. And so let's take a brief look at each of those ideas in turn. First, a God who can be known, and second, a God who must be known. A God who can be known, and a God who must be known. So let's start first, a God who can be known. This passage teaches us that God can be known because God is personal. God is personal. A few years ago, a survey conducted by the Pew Research Center revealed that a majority of Americans, 57%, say that they believe in a personal God. Belief in God as an impersonal force was much higher among those affiliated with non-Christian faiths. For example, 44% of Jewish Muslim Buddhist and Hindu respondents, tended to agree with this view of God. And interestingly, even 22% of those affiliated with the Christian faith stated that they believe God is an impersonal force. Which is interesting because that contradicts one of the most foundational understandings of God according to historic Christianity. And that is that God is personal. Again, the God of the Christian faith is not an impersonal force or an absolute principle of some sort. Rather, he has the characteristics of what we would normally apply to a person. God is rational. God is conscious of his own existence. He possesses a will. Uh, He possesses an intellect. He can be distinguished from other beings. And from other inanimate objects. God is able to give and to take in real relationships. See, we witness his personal qualities even in this short passage. God speaks. Verse 23. This is what the Lord, what? says it's easy to take for granted that the God of the Bible is a speaking God verse 24 declares the Lord verse 25 the days are coming declares the Lord God speaks secondly God has emotions you see in the second half of verse 24 I'm the Lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on earth for in these I what delight He has emotions. God personally interacts with the people and events of this world. We see this again in the second half of verse 24. I'm the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth in real time and space in real human lives. These qualities point us, as do many other passages of the Bible, to the conclusion that God is personal. This passage also tells us that God can be known because God is self-revealing. And this is important because God could be personal and yet still unknowable if he were totally inaccessible, right? If he hadn't actually taken the initiative to tell us about himself. God is self-revealing recently had the opportunity to have lunch with a colleague who works on the intersection of faith and politics i had read about and heard about his work really since the day that i arrived in dc about 12 years ago but never had had the chance to meet him personally And we talked about faith and politics, of course, but probably the most meaningful and the most moving part of the conversation was when he began to share about his recent struggle with cancer, how it totally changed the way that he looked at life, Uh, how now being on the other side of it, how he looks at almost every mundane thing as significant, Uh, every moment as valuable, every relationship as vital. And I came away feeling so privileged, as I know you would have too, so privileged to get to know him in this really personal way. Because I knew that it was totally his choice to go there. I knew that no matter how hard that I had tried, I never would have known these intimate reflections of his heart unless he had decided to share them, to reveal them to me. This is how it is with God. For us to know him, to us to know the the deep recesses of his heart, for us to truly know the secrets of his mind, for us to really have an intimate contact with him. God must reveal himself to us. Because the Bible is very clear that God is infinite. Which means, of course, that our minds and our hearts don't have natural capacity to grasp him, to know him. He is, after all, in the Old Testament, called the I am who I am. Self-existent with no beginning and no end. Who always was, who always will be. How can you know a God like that? As God declares in Isaiah 55, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. And in Romans 11, oh, the depths of the the riches and wisdom uh, and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Furthermore, not just that we have a limited knowledge as human beings, a limited capacity, but also as sinners... Romans 8 tells us that we tend to suppress our knowledge of God, namely, those aspects of his nature that we just don't like. Things that are are a threat to our own sense of well-being, to our own sense of having control over our own lives. Sometimes we don't like bowing our knee to anyone outside of ourselves. God must reveal himself to us. God must break through, intrude lovingly upon these limitations and resistances. God must reveal himself to us. Here's good news. God has revealed himself to us. That's what the Bible is. God has spoken. We're reminded of this in verse 23. This is what the Lord says. And in verse 24 again, thus declares the Lord. So we can know God truly, not exhaustively, not perfectly, but truly. That's why the Bible is so critical to our knowledge of God. Listen, the, the Bible itself is very clear that we can learn, we must learn a lot about God through nature, the natural world. Romans 1 and Psalm 19 tell us that the skies, the trees, the, the mountains, the whole cosmos speak to us, proclaim to us the glory of God. But knowing God through nature, wonderful and even vital though it may be, is like walking around in someone's bedroom without having met them yet, and without them being there. You can get to know that person to a certain degree. You notice, looking around, this person really likes the color red. Or they seem organized. It's a really tidy room. Or they seem to be really friendly and well-connected in relationship. They've got framed pictures of, of people everywhere in the room. But... Just by observing these things in the room, you can only get to know them so much, right? To really know them, you need to start having conversations with them. Uh, They need to tell you about themselves. They need to reveal themselves to you, including correcting maybe some wrong interpretations and conclusions you might have made about them by just observing their room. And so we need God's special revelation, not just his general revelation, but we need God to speak to us and tell us about himself if we have any hope of knowing him. Of course, that means that the Bible is not just an ancient book. The Bible is divine self-disclosure. The Bible is God actually speaking to you. That's why the Bible is so essential to the Christian faith. Without it, there's no way that we could know an infinite and otherwise incomprehensible God. Here's good news. God is personal and God is self-revealing. That's why we can know him. In fact, he is so personal, so revealing, that he himself came personally in the person of his son Jesus. You see, for all the glory of what we have in the gift of Scripture, the greatest revelation of God is the Son of God himself. Jesus is how. We know God best. In fact, the New Testament even alludes to this, in fact, says it explicitly in many ways. But in 1 Corinthians 1, 31, this very passage from Jeremiah 9 is quoted. But applied to knowing not just God generally, but knowing Jesus and his cross. Let the one who boasts boast about this, that they understand and know God through Jesus. You see, because it's in him that we come to know God best and fullest. Jesus himself said, if you have seen me, then you know the Father. Because Jesus was the love of God with a face. Jesus was the, the compassion of God with tender hands. Jesus was the sympathy of God with with real tears. Jesus was the mercy of God and the justice of God revealed simultaneously on the cross on which he died. When Jesus paid the just punishment, For all our sins, all our willful ignorance of Him, all our refusal to know Him, all our distortions of our knowledge of Him, that through His death and resurrection we might be forgiven by God, that we might finally know Him. This is the God who reveals Himself, a God who makes Himself. Known And if this is true, let's consider some practical implications. First of all, do do you get excited when you crack open the Bible? (laughs) Maybe even that idea of excitement when reading the Bible might seem sort of like an oxymoron, a contradiction of terms. But God's revealed word is God's choice to share the most intimate, personal qualities about himself. It means the Bible is one of the greatest divine gifts we have that we should not take for granted. When was the last time that that you opened the pages of Scripture, and this isn't to say that it's easy to understand all the time, but when was the last time you opened it and sort of got giddy because you said to yourself and you knew, I might know God because of what I encounter In this paragraph, in these pages, in these stories, in these songs, do you have that kind of excitement, anticipation as you sift through the Word of God? Secondly, a lot of us are frustrated with the Bible because it's hard to understand. But what would you expect if the Bible is the personal self-disclosure of an infinite God of the whole universe. A God who is inscrutable in his ways, unsearchable in his judgments, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, whose ways are beyond our ways, and who could not possibly be known truly apart from his self-disclosure Through the Bible, if if we're trying to comprehend an infinite God like that, should we not expect that His words at times might be hard to grasp? Maybe this can level out our expectations a little bit more. Maybe that sounds like a strange argument to you, but cheer up. Is the Bible hard to read? It means you're reading about the God of the universe. Thirdly, if God can be known because he's personal and self-revealing, then are you doing the things that you need to do to get to know him? Almost like any other relationship. Are you talking to God? That, that's called prayer. Are you listening to God? But that's just what the Bible is. The words of God, the very voice of of God, Are you doing both? Have you ever been in a relationship where the other person is talking all the time, never gives you a chance to talk? Some of you relate to God that way. You're only praying, but you never listen, never taking in his words through his word. Or the opposite relationship where people are always just listening to you, but they never talk back. Always maybe studying your Bible, but never actually interacting with God in prayer. A real relationship is give and take, speaking and listening. Are you doing Both. Are you growing in intimacy with him? Are you growing in love for him? Are you committed to him more and more each day? That's how other relationships work, isn't it? Why would we expect any differently from God? Fourthly, do you know that this process of knowing God, therefore, takes time and intentionality? If God is infinite yet knowable, then there's a heck of a lot of God to get to know, isn't there? And that takes patience and perseverance. Again, just like any other relationship, because sometimes we get impatient with the process of getting to know God, or we get easily discouraged because we feel like we shouldn't have to learn about this part of God's character or nature again and again. Hey, didn't I already study this? Didn't I learn this lesson before? When was the last time you got to know a friend overnight? Or if you're married or have a dear friend, when did you finally figure out your spouse or your roommate or your family member? Why would it be any different in the endeavor to know God? We should expect that it takes time and sacrifice and intentionality. This is the process of knowing God that you are invited to. Because God can be known. Cheer up, have hope, take heart. He can be known. Because first of all, this passage tells us about a God who can be known. But secondly, it also tells us about a God who must be known a God who must be known you might have noticed verse 24 is an invitation it's a mandate to know God let the one who boasts boast about this that they understand and know me that's not an invitation to brag about how much you know God the word boast there means joy or praise or glory In other words, it invites you to ponder, what's your greatest joy? Is it your wisdom? Is it your strength, your riches? Or is it knowing God? What is the most praiseworthy thing in your life, in your estimation? This passage tells us what it ought to be. It's knowing God. The greatest joy the greatest centering principle of your life, the most praiseworthy thing about who you are, knowing God. In other words, the whole goal of life is to know God and to live in light of that personal knowledge of God. As J.I. Packer put it in his timeless classic, Knowing God... What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. Just as Jesus said in John seventeen three, now this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, this is what life is all about. True life, eternal life, is knowing God through a personal relationship with God in Christ. So in this series, Who is God? We're not just going through an academic or intellectual exercise. Rather, this series is aimed at nothing less than the discovery or rediscovery of the purpose of your life. Of course, knowing God means more than just knowing facts and figures about God. It's more than being able to just recite correct truths about God. Remember what Jeremiah said in verse 25 there. He warns those who are circumcised only in the flesh. They've got the religious symbols. Uh, they, they, They think they're wearing the right religious badge, but there's no inner reality. He says the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. In heart. See, what he's saying is knowing God isn't just religious routine or ritual like just going to church or getting baptized, those things all by themselves. Knowing God isn't just a surface, cognitive, brainy knowledge of God. It's an inward knowing. It's an intimate knowing of the heart. We see this again in the words that are used when God says, let the one who boasts boast about this, that they understand and know me that I'm the Lord. The word understand there points to a deeper, considered kind of understanding, not just the regurgitation of facts about God. To understand means to look at something, uh, to ponder it, and, and to gain personal insight. And the word know in the original language there, it's a word of commitment. It's used of people who enter into covenants. I know you and you know me. It's why it's also in the Old Testament used in reference to sexual intimacy. He knew her, she knew him. It's an intimacy and commitment kind of a word. In other words, when God says, understand me and Know me," what he's telling us is that knowing God means having a personal relationship with God. It's understanding the truth about God, and it's loving the God of the truth. It's facts about who God is. Yes. That content matters. Theology matters. Truths about God matters. But it's more than that, but not less than that. It's also a personal experience of who God is. An experience that electrifies your heart, that changes your life, even as electrifying where human relationships do the same to us as well, though in smaller measure. It's information and affection. And why is this important? Because you can know a whole lot about God without really Knowing God personally. Do you know the difference? Do you see the difference? That there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And so, the most important question for us today is, do you know God? Do you want to know him? And to know him with the passion of the Apostle Paul who wrote in the book of Philippians about the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and who declared, I want to know Christ. Is that the meditation, the cry of your heart? Because, friends, this is an invitation to true life. As we heard Jesus say, earlier himself. It's an invitation to a life that's worthwhile. Again, as J.I. Packer wrote, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something that catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God. But how would you get to know him? Maybe we can start with this question, the question we're going to explore over the next 12 weeks. Who is God anyway? Do you know? Do you know him? Let's pray. So we ask that by your spirit, you would give us grace to know you, Jesus. To know you, Heavenly Father. To know you, Holy Spirit. That we would know you personally, deeply, life-changingly for our good and for your glory. Give us grace, give us help throughout these next weeks, throughout this summer but most especially even now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.